For those of you that don't know me, my name is Gabby. I'm one of the pastors here at Cedar Mill, and I am excited to be preaching God's Word today. We are going to be talking about the art of being grateful, but before we dive into the message, I just want to share with you a few things that I'm really grateful for. Uh, I want to do that because we're still in Thanksgiving season, and I consider you my family, and that's what the season is about, right? I, I'm going to be very brief. I just want to share with you how grateful I am to be part of this community where I get to grow in my faith. You teach me so much about what it means to love God, to trust God, and to remain faithful. You encourage me so much, but you also challenge me and stretch me, and that is very, very good. I'm also grateful that I get to serve um, alongside so many of you. I get to do life with you. I have so many different friends here. I have grandmas who have adopted me as one of their own. Thank you so much for that. I love it. I also have brothers and sisters who remind me that I am not alone. I love the blessing of being able to serve the church in this country, in this beautiful country where I get to do life uh, and enjoy life and have a job, which is a blessing that I do not take for granted. And lastly, I'm grateful for each one of you who every time that I see you here on Sundays, you make me feel so loved, so welcome, and so embraced. So thank you so much, Cedar Mill, for being my family in this part of the world. With that, the sermon, the art of being grateful. Wasn't it great to watch that video with all the people saying thank you in their own language? It was awesome. There's something really great and almost exciting about knowing what a person is saying but not really knowing what the person is saying. It's like this confusing thing, it's exciting. There's many cultures <coughs> around the world that have many different words for thank you. Other cultures bow, especially cultures in Asia. And there's other cultures that just have gestures and not words. And in the end, we're all trying to express in one way or another something that we feel deep inside whenever we are grateful. But what exactly does it mean to be grateful? What do we mean every time that we say thanks or thank you to someone? If we look at the history and the etymology of this word in English, we find that the original meaning has been somewhat lost throughout the years. The word thanks or to thank <coughs> actually derives from the old English word to think. Very interesting. It is interesting because the original way of expressing gratitude, at least in the English language, was something along the lines of, I will think of you for what, you, what you've done for me, or I will remember what you did for me. And I thought that was really profound, and I wonder how often we think about gratitude in that way. So I took note of that, and then I went to the Bible to see how God talks about gratitude, and what I found was even more profound, obviously. So I just wanna share with you a few facts that you may find interesting about the act of, of giving thanks in the Bible. In its various different forms, the act of thanksgiving appears 146 times in the Old Testament and 83 times in the New Testament. That is a lot of times just in the New Testament. Have you looked at how small it is? We have like the Old Testament and then the New Testament, and 83 times it appears. Whenever Thanksgiving is expressed in the Bible, it is almost always expressed in connection to God and his involvement in people's lives. That includes his presence, his blessings, and provisions. And I would say it's about 90% of the times that we see Thanksgiving 
expressed in this context. The third fact is that the most commonly used word for thanksgiving in Hebrew is yara. And this word has multiple meanings, varying from giving praise to confessing our sin to giving thanks. This is actually a very, very rich word, but we're not going to look at it today because I really want to focus on the Greek word and how it's used in the New Testament. And I have a feeling you're going to be pleasantly surprised when you find out what the word is. And if you know it, don't say it because you're going to ruin my moment. <laughs> my surprise. <coughs> so the Greek word for thanksgiving, what the first century Christians used to say thank you to each other and to God, is a word that probably every single person in this room has said or at least heard at some point in your life. And the word is Eucharist. Hmm. Very interesting, huh? Eucharist, or properly said, Eucharisteo. I found that extremely, extremely interesting. And when you look at this word in a Bible dictionary, you'll see that the most basic definition of Eucharisteo is just simply thanks. <laughs> it's to give thanks. That's, what you, that's the only thing it says. But there is so much more to this word that it will completely expand our view on what it means to be grateful <coughs> according to God. And a good starting point for us is to look at one of the most famous passages or, or events in the Bible when we see this word being used. And that is obviously the Last Supper, particularly the moment when Jesus institutionalizes at communion with his disciples. When we look at the passage, we read that when Jesus took the bread, he gave thanks, Eucharisteo, and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That is the reason why most of us associate the word Eucharist with communion. And there's nothing wrong with that because it is part of it. But if we look throughout the Bible, there are many other instances when we see Eucharist happening. And one of them is the multiplication of the fish and the bread. Do you remember that story? When a big crowd was following Jesus, and, and after a few days, Jesus felt compassion for them, and he said, they're hungry. i got to feed them. <coughs> this is how this story reads in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish and gave thanks, Eucharisteo. Then he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. Do you see a pattern here? In both instances, we see Eucharist taking place in the context of gathering and fellowship. We have people coming together, we have words of gratitude, and a meal being shared. And what does that sound like to you? That sounds like Thanksgiving today. Fellowship, breaking bread together, and saying words of gratitude. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. So I thought that it would be cool for us to look at our modern celebration of Thanksgiving and to break it apart a little bit so that we can see how many connections we can find with the act of Thanksgiving in the Bible. 
And this is not going to be a super thorough exercise, but it will at least help us ask ourselves some interesting questions like, are there any parallels between them? Can we do things differently? Are there things we should lean into a bit more? And as we ask ourselves these questions, a really good place to start is the table. The place that for centuries has brought people together to share a meal, to engage in conversation, to experience fellowship, and to do the most ordinary things in the world together. And when it comes to Thanksgiving, there is so much that happens around the table outside of people sitting around it to eat. For starters, whoever is hosting the gathering, whoever is hosting the dinner, they begin to engage with the table long before the guests get there. Long before. They pull out all the tablecloths and the placemats, and they begin to set things up for every person that is going to be there. They make sure there's enough plates, enough napkins, enough silverware, enough glasses. Some people decorate the table. Some people don't really do that. But just the act of setting the table, as mundane as it may sound, is such an act of love and appreciation. Because what you are saying to your guests, it's a symbolic way of saying, I am ready for you. You are welcome. I have set the table for you. It's so powerful. And you may say, no, 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 Gabby, you're making that sound way more romantic than it is. And I get that because I have bittersweet experiences setting tables. I grew up in a family where my parents thought, and to this day think, that it's normal to host two or three dinners per week. And for all those gatherings, I had to help setting the table. And I wish my mother was one of those women that just wings things, but no, that is not my mom. Everything needs to look perfect, we needed to iron the tablecloths, my sisters and I, every time we were going to use them, we had to set the table and measure, I am not kidding, my mom will listen to this, measure how much the length, how much it hang and all that. The plates needed to be centered right in the middle, perfectly centered, the napkins beautifully folded. She always had way more silverware than people knew what to do with. I mean, it was crazy. And I had to be part of it. If one day I write a memoir of my life, I'm going to write my experience at school, playing sports, finding my way in the social world, and the pain of setting tables at home. It's such a big part of my life. I hated it. I hated it with a passion. But now, as a grown-up, or trying to be a grown-up, I am so glad that I got to participate in the act of setting the table because I can look back and remember how every single guest that came to our house felt so loved and truly welcome because there was always a place ready for them at the table and it was beautiful. And that feels really good in our core because it's a reflection of what God continuously says to us. It doesn't matter who you are, where you've been, where you're from. There is always a place at my table. That's what God says to you today. That is what drew me to Christ when I was not a believer. 
the fact, that the, the truth, the reality that it doesn't matter where I had been, whenever I approached the King of Kings, I knew that there was a place at the table for me. And that disarmed me. When we look at the Bible, we see time and time again, Jesus breaking bread with all sorts of people. In fact, that was one of the biggest reasons why he was so criticized for the people he shared the table with. And as followers of Christ, we need to ask ourselves that question. Who gets to sit at our table? When we plan our Thanksgiving dinners, when we think about the people that are gonna be there, do we make room for everyone? When we say, oh, I would love to have so-and-so come over. That would be a great blessing. Who do we think about? Who do we make room for? Now, there's some people that we just cannot escape, right? We have to invite them because we're connected to them. There's nothing you can do about your crazy uncle and his bad jokes. He's going to be there. But when we look at our role as Christians and God's invitation to extend hospitality to our neighbors, do we ever stop to think about those who may not have anyone to celebrate Thanksgiving with? Do we keep our doors tight? Do we invite others? Do we extend radical hospitality? Maybe today God is nudging you to invite someone new, maybe a stranger, to next year's Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner. It's right around the corner. Maybe your lesson this year is a different one. Maybe some of us forgot altogether that Jesus was also sitting at the table the entire time. And I have been there so many times when for a moment I remember that he is there. When we say thank you for this meal, when we are aware that it is because of him that we are grateful, I'm aware of that. But then after that, the rest of the night, I'm all on my own. And I am judging and gossiping and being critical. Is God speaking to anyone else besides me today? Yep. We're going to come to that. What I want to talk about, what I want to make sure I talk about, is one of the highlights for me when it comes to Thanksgiving. And that is the food. You guys, your Thanksgiving food is delicious. I love it. I never have breakfast when I know I'm going to have dinner with someone <coughs> for Thanksgiving. Every time I eat your food, I cannot, stop, I cannot um, help but stop and thank God for giving us the gift of food. And not just food but the ability to enjoy food, to taste different flavors, to experience this amazing pleasure. Have you ever stopped to thank God for such an amazing gift? Yeah. I mean, oftentimes we thank God for our bodies. I do every now and then, and I thank them that my body works so that I can walk or that I woke up. But have you ever stopped to thank God for your taste buds? Such a gift. Such a gift. I mean, when he created us, 
He gave us the ability to think and to feel and to walk and to do all these things. And he also said, and I'm going to give them taste buds so that they can enjoy food. What a blessing. And this is not me just talking nonsense. I'm actually thinking of King Solomon's words in the book of Ecclesiastes when he says that there is nothing better for a person than to eat and drink and enjoy their work. This too is from the hand of God. It's from the hand of God. Every big celebration that we see in the Bible was always connected to food, whether it was harvest or anything else. Every big celebration that we have today almost always involves food. But are we truly grateful for this gift? Or do we just take it for granted? It sounds like a silly question, especially in a country where food is relatively accessible. But coming where I come from, or other countries where food is truly scarce, it really makes me wonder if we know the tremendous blessing that food is, that good food is. Having access to food, getting to enjoy food, and sharing it with others is one of God's greatest gifts to us. And sadly, that is not something every person gets to experience, not even in this country. That's why I love our Jesus Table ministry here at Cedar Mill, where every single Tuesday, a group of loving and committed volunteers get to feed between 60 and 70 people who need a meal and someone to talk to. And every Tuesday, we get to experience Thanksgiving right here. We get to experience Eucharist here in our church with people from all different backgrounds who quickly become family and friends. It's beautiful. Now, while we're still in the topic of food, there is one food I want to highlight, one key ingredient that is part of, gosh, I'm going to say every single traditional Thanksgiving dinner in the United States, and that is cranberries. They're always there. And I want to mention cranberries because they give us a window into the history of the United States that I believe is important for us to acknowledge as we celebrate Thanksgiving. And I'm particularly talking about the history of this tradition and what it means and what it meant for our Native American brothers and sisters. I'm not going to say a whole lot about it because it's not the purpose of my sermon, but as someone who is looking at this tradition from the outside, coming from another country, I want to do a good job at honoring every person that has a connection to Thanksgiving. And I saw Tree this morning, you're right there, and I'm thinking of Paul and Bethany's uh, kids and Cookie and all other Native American friends that I have. And the very cool thing about cranberries is that they were one of the main fruits that was cultivated by Native American people in the northeast of the United States, and to this day they cultivate it. There's a tribe called the Wampanoags, and they have something called Cranberry Day, which is their major Thanksgiving day that has been taking place way before, before the pilgrims got here. And this celebration happens sometime in October, and what they do is celebrate the Cranberry Fest and God's provision, whom they call Creator. And they come together to eat and have fellowship and share stories, and that sounds so familiar. And it sounds great. One of the beauties of Thanksgiving is that it originates in God's heart. And people from all around the world get to express gratitude in ways that are meaningful to them. And the one thing that we find in all these celebrations 
is people coming together at the table. It's at the table that God allows us to enjoy the company of family and friends in ways that nothing else can. Just think about the hustle and bustle of a table where there's joyful fellowship happening. You may say it's just noise. And perhaps it is. But it's a beautiful noise. It's the sound of people coming together and having a good time. People sharing stories with one another or making each other laugh. That noise has got to be music to God's ears. It's the sound of fellowship and the melody of joy and bliss. The table is a place where all these beautiful things happen. So many beautiful things happen at the table. But it's also the place where many of us experience the most challenging moments. Difficult conversations. Moments of tension. Fights. Tears. Maybe that's a reality that hit closer to home for you this Thanksgiving. Maybe some of you had some heated arguments at the table or even fights. Maybe you were hoping for some healing and reconciliation to happen, but nope, on the contrary, all wounds were opened and instead of healing, you got more pain. Maybe this was your first Thanksgiving without the presence of someone dear. Someone that is no longer with us. Or perhaps someone that is just not in the picture anymore. Holidays can bring to the surface all sorts of challenges and pain. And yet God invites us to remain grateful in the midst of it all. Because when we look at that last supper, when we look at that last dinner that Jesus enjoyed with his closest friends and his disciples, he was fully aware of what was, of what was to come. He knew one of them would turn him in, betrayal. He knew some of his disciples would fight over who would be the greatest, <laughs> selfishness, greed. He knew that all his friends would leave him in the darkest hour, abandonment, neglect. He also knew he would experience a horrible death. And even though he knew all those things, he still took bread and gave thanks and shared a meal with his friends. That was Thanksgiving done well. That was Jesus showing us what, what Eucharist is all about. That outpouring of love and grace to those around us, coupled with the act of being unconditionally grateful for the people that are in our lives, the places we live in, and the blessings that we have. This kind of gratitude, this kind of gratitude is not temporary. It is not conditional either. Because it is anchored, anchored in the grace offered to us through Jesus Christ, which is offered to us and extended to us under every circumstance and at all times. Did you know that being grateful has a whole lot to do with being graceful. If we look closely at the word eucaristeo, if we look at the very center of this word, the root, the very core, we find the word grace. That's what charis means, grace. And we find it bundled up right in the middle of thanksgiving. Right there in the middle. That's why when we're all sitting at the table, when we're all ready to say grace, 
That's what we say. That's what we call it. We say grace because that's what thanksgiving means. It's recognizing the grace of God in our lives. It's being graceful and being grateful for it. We give thanks to God by remembering his grace. The art of being grateful is so much more than saying the right words. It means being aware of God's grace in our lives. It means embracing and receiving that grace and then extending it to others. That's what I see Jesus showing us in that Last Supper. Because in that context of the Eucharist, what he said to his disciples was, remember what I've done for you, but love one another just like I have loved you. He said both things, receive my grace, but extend it to someone else. That is what being grateful means. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So here are some questions that I have for you when it comes to thanksgiving and grace, just to wrap up. When was the last time you thanked God for his grace? Nothing else. Nothing else, just this bundle of love and mercy and forgiveness that we get to call grace. That's always a great place to start when we want to make our way back to God. <laughs> Thank him for his grace. When was the last time someone showed you grace in a way that truly moved you? And if that happened, did you have the opportunity to stop and give thanks? When was the last time that you extended that grace to someone? Maybe when it was really difficult. Is it time to do it again? Perhaps. When was the last time you thanked God for all the things that are not pleasant, but are so good for our soul and our growth? As we get ready to take communion, I, I want to invite you just to take some time to to check your hearts, to do some business with God and confess anything that you need to say to him. Anything. Perhaps he has convicted you of something today and he just wants you to come to him and rely on him. Maybe there's something getting in the way of you and God and right now could be a really good time to let that go, to give it up. Whatever the Lord is asking you to do, this is the time, this is the time to do it. And I'm going to give you just a, few, just a few seconds of silence so that you can go ahead and connect with God. You can close your eyes if you want to. There is one thing I want to invite you to remember, one truth I'd like you to hold on to. That is the fact that when Jesus invites us to the table, he does it knowing full well that one day we might betray him, just like Judas did. When he invites us to the table, he knows full well that selfishness and greed will get the better part of us at some point, just like it happened to the disciples. 
When he sets a place for us at the table, he does it knowing that one day we might walk away from him, even if it's for a brief moment. And even though he knows all those things, he still takes the bread and gives thanks and says, this is my body given for you. And this is my blood shed for you and for the forgiveness of sins. Isn't that an amazing God? Isn't that unconditional love? So I'm going to invite you to come forward to receive the elements of communion, but I'm going to ask you to hold on to them because we're going to take them together. I'm going to lead that from up front. So when you're ready, come forward, take the elements, hold on to them. We'll take communion together. I'd like for us to sing the doxology before we take communion. And Ali's going to help us lead it. Praise God from the